This is Iron Mike Stedman, host of the Transition Podcast. I want to take a moment to discuss with you all something very near and dear to the heart of the military connected community. As many of you are aware, at the end of August 2021, the United States military officially pulled out of Afghanistan. The pullout of U.S. forces and the deaths of those we lost in the final days of the war hit our community pretty hard. For many in the military connected community, the last few months have been extremely rough, especially for those who deployed to Afghanistan or lost brothers and sisters over the course of the war. At Bunker Labs, we try our best to serve the military-connected community in the best way we know how. Now that the dust has settled a bit and the reality of life after the war in Afghanistan has set in, I felt it was an appropriate time to discuss Afghanistan amongst our community and in our own way. So for this episode of The Transition, I sat down with Kimberly Jung and Keith Alanise, founders of Rumi Spice, a company that brings flavorful, ethically sourced, and socially responsible spices from Afghanistan to the rest of the world. Both Kimberly and Keith are Army veterans who've led grassroots economic development in Afghanistan for the last eight years through Rumi Spice. The events that have taken place in the country have not only affected them from a psychological perspective, but also an economic one as well, as their business model is relying upon some form of a stable Afghanistan. Kimberly and Keith open up about their feelings on the official pullout of U.S. forces, the effects it's having on their business model, and how they plan to persevere despite it all. My hope is that this episode encourages you to connect with other veterans, whether at Bunker Labs or some other organization, where you can discuss your feelings on the situation and be around others who understand what you're going through. Before we hear from Kimberly and Keith, make sure you subscribe to the Transition Newsletter on Substack at the link in your show notes. I release a newsletter twice a week, once on Tuesday mornings with actionable tips and advice you can apply in your own venture, and another one on Friday in order to share the latest podcast episode. Let me know your feedback and what topics you'd like me to cover, either on the show or write about in the newsletter. And in addition, if you're interested in contributing to the newsletter with a post of your own, shoot me an email at mike.stedman at bunkerlabs.org. This episode of The Transition is brought to you by the MetLife Foundation and their commitment to supporting veteran and military spouse entrepreneurs. In addition, the foundation also provides mentorship and financial health resources to veterans and military spouses transitioning into the workforce. As always, I appreciate you for sharing your time with me, and I hope you enjoy the following episode. <laughs> Kimberly, how's it going? Hey, it's good. Hey, Iron Mike. How you doing? I'm doing great. And uh, I, I, like I was saying in our pre-interview, I feel super humbled to be able to have you here on The Transition, because when I entered the Bunker Lab ecosystem, you were one of the entrepreneurs that I was looking up to. It's just, I didn't know anything about entrepreneurship, let alone that this was an opportunity for us as transitioning veterans. And I just remember that like core group of you, you know, uh, you, I think it was Nicholas Toronto from Plated. And uh, it's just super humbling to have you here on the show today. I'm the one who's honored to be here. Um, so yeah, Keith and I both, we went through the Bunker Labs thing, what, 2014? That was crazy. Yeah. Just when Bunker Labs had just started. So I don't know if we're any special than any more special than anyone else, but we just happened to be there when Bunker Labs started. So 
Um, glad to see Rumi Spice sort of in the spotlight for Bunker Labs. Yeah, how's the journey been for you all so far? It's been it's been great, and I think journey is a good word for it. You know, um, Kim and I, and uh, our, our partner Emily, and, and another partner Carol, we, we sort of started this um, way back in 2014 with this crazy idea that we could um, connect rural farmers with markets in the U.S. and by doing so could catalyze economic development in Afghanistan. And we took some hard choices at the very beginning by not sort of putting our hand into the to the gobs of money that were being thrown around in the grant world because we thought that in order for this to be long-term sustainable we need to do it in a business sort of way it needs to be for profit it's not a handout we want to trade value for value with these farmers and thereby like incentivize development you know and, and i think you fast forward to today you know both kim and i have moved away from the day-to-day -day operations of, of rumi spice rumi spice has some real legs We've got a great CEO, Patty Doe, who's running the show. Uh, we still help out on the strategic end and, and, you know, of course, doing things like this. You can find us in Whole Foods all across the country um, today. Uh, and, and that probably wouldn't have happened if we would have gone the grant route. Um, and I know, you know, Afghanistan is, is obviously a hot topic for us. It's, it's in the news now. But, but and we'll talk more about this, but in, in a span of a few weeks, everything that we've done in 20 years has just gone up in smoke with the exception of Rumi Spice, who we're still driving on, we're still working through the harvest. Um, and our choices at the very beginning to stay away from this sort of handout aid industrial complex and to really drive a for-profit business and take those, uh, what do they say, the hard right over the, in my opinion, the easy wrong. Um, let's not say wrong, but the taking the hard path instead of the easy path, that's a direct, today's, you know, longevity and the, the fact that we're still operating uh, despite everything um, that's happened, that, that's a direct result of those early early choices. So it, it has been has been quite a journey. You know, and just to echo what Keith said, you know, the reason that we're able to survive this Taliban era is because we are a sustainable for-profit business. We, we specifically did not choose to be a nonprofit taking grants or even some of those for-profit entities that were closely connected to government entities that were giving away um, grants for specific reasons. We became sustainable on our own from the ground up um, as a business that came from the ground and the, and the grassroots. I think that's one of the reasons I was drawn to you both initially is that when I entered the entrepreneurial space, I came in through the nonprofit side of the house with Ironbound Boxing. And I was looking in that social impact, you know, social entrepreneur movement. And so companies like yours really were kind of like the gold standard for me as like an entrepreneur. I still haven't been able to figure out the for-profit model yet. Uh, I did corporate boxing for a while, um, but obviously the pandemic shut a lot of that down. So I transitioned into podcast production like a like a hustler. Uh, Got a hustle. Yeah, but I'm I'm very familiar with the, the social impact movement and uh, kudos y'all for for achieving liftoff. And one of the questions I want to ask you, even before we talk about Afghanistan, is, you know, in the entrepreneurial space, whether you're veteran, social impact entrepreneur, you know, a lot of people come in with great ideas, but a lot of them don't achieve liftoff, let alone scale like you all have. What do you think it was that allowed you to cheat achieve it in such a hard? industry because i've been to afghanistan i was in helmet province that's a very hard place to launch a social uh enterprise let alone without any kind of grant money 
So I'm curious to know what, what made you all successful in your eyes. One of the key tenets of our business is that it's revenue and it's market demand that are driving the rest of the business. So whether or not we are in Somalia or Afghanistan or United States, if there's demand for a product, the supply chain will follow. So um, we don't start from the standpoint of, oh, let's make some saffron and see if uh, people are going to buy it. It was like, hey, let's go find out who wants saffron. Let's make a product that people will want to buy. And then on the back end, um, we will figure out how to supply that saffron. Uh, for our listeners, I was going to say real quick, for our listeners, take some notes real quick. That's a teachable moment. What she's talking about is a market pool. So making sure that there's a pool on the market before you build. And I didn't know that on the nonprofit social impact front, but it makes a lot of sense to me. What were you saying, Keith? Yeah, no, I, I agree with what Kim said. I think that that's, that's you know, sort of like the, the big difference between, you know, uh, something that's driven by, by aid agencies versus something that's driven by for-profit entities is that you have this uh, market pool rather than just creating something and hope that you can maybe find markets for it, but there's not really an incentive to do so. Um, I, I do just want to add, you know, some of the, the secret sauce to um, achieving achieving launch is is really the, the team. Um, I was really lucky to work with Kim and to, to know Kim from our time in the military together. You know, we, we, uh, we, we served at Fort Leonard Wood, uh, Missouri together, and then, you know, we really got to know each other on a mission to uh, New York during Hurricane Sandy and doing emergency operations. And so it, it's, it's, uh, it's getting that right personality. You know, Kim is just super driven, a little bit crazy, uh, is, is ready to tackle any problem in front of her and, and we'll, we'll, we'll solve it. Um, you know, Emily is very similar uh, way. and She added a lot to our team as well. Uh, but then, you know, not to forget the people in Afghanistan, we didn't micromanage the development of our Afghanistan suppliers by any means, but we did provide the resources, the training, the set the conditions and standards, you know, which people are familiar with in the military for them to develop on their own. And they truly rose to the occasion and they've just thrived, you know, given the market demand that, that we've had. So, you know, we have this great ecosystem of, you know, entrepreneurs in Afghanistan who are solving Afghanistan problems, Afghan solving Afghan problems. And then you have, um, you know, entrepreneurs here in the U.S. who are solving the market problems and working and solving some of the supply chain issues. So all of that kind of comes together. Um, I won't say it was, it's foolproof and, and certainly like there's been bumpy times, but you know, having that team allows us to really, you know, think on our feet and be agile and, and solve any problems that, that came in front of us. Let me ask you this now of all the places, why Afghanistan? Uh, you know, for me personally, I spent the latter half of my army career working in Afghanistan through a program called Afpac Hands or Afghan Hands program. Uh, you know, they trained us for, uh, they trained us in some of the culture, gave us some intense language training and sent us to Afghanistan to address long-term issues and to develop long-term relationships with the locals. So I quickly realized, you know, that the um, root causes of a lot of the instability are, are, are economically driven. When you have a largely rural populace who is not seeing any of the millions of dollars that are being spent in aid and development that's primarily going to the cities, they're not seeing any economic benefit of that. You know, they still are living the lives, you know, just like they had prior to U.S. arrival. Um, and what you have is a lot of, you know, high unemployment, a lot of 
young military age males without anything to do. That's that's one of the root causes of of what sets the conditions for for insurgency. Um, and by the way, the Taliban were receiving the bulk of their revenue through illicit opium trade. So it was sort of a a moment that that uh, came to me as I was serving in Afghanistan, uh, where where a farmer came up to me and asked for help growing saffron. And I didn't know a lot about saffron at the time, uh, but he showed me this this spice and it had like this beautiful smell. Did some research on what saffron was. Came to find out, oh, it's a it's an alternative crop to opium. It grow, grows in the same climates as as opium. Um, you know, Kim, she she was uh, already out of the army. She was at Harvard Business School at the time. And we got on a Skype call and we just started talking and thought like, hey, this is this is a, a business opportunity. Let's see where this goes. Let's try to connect this farmer with markets. And I think, at least for me, you know, I would have been happy if we connected a couple of dozen farmers with a couple of, you know, dozen customers in the U.S. But it quickly grew legs. Uh, we saw that the, there was some, some true potential. And today we work with, you know, over 500 farmers. Um, thousands of women are employed in our, our uh, production centers in Afghanistan. Um, and, you know, we, we have uh, still have some pretty uh, audacious growth plans in the next couple of years. I love that. I'm a big fan of, uh, I forgot the author of the book, Banker to the Poor, where he talks about Grauman Bank um, and how microfinance principles can be utilized to create economic development. And it sounds like that's kind of what you guys were able to do uh, through Rum Spice. Roomy Spice. I apologize. I keep butchering it. Don't beat me up, Kim. It's okay. Now, one of the things we do on this show is we all get vulnerable and take off our armor. And you are both very successful entrepreneurs, but a lot of times people don't see what it's like behind the scenes. Um, and so what I'm going to ask you all to do is, uh, if you wouldn't mind taking off your armor for our listeners. It can be regarding Afghanistan. It can be regarding you know, the day-to-day -day hustle of being an entrepreneur, but whatever you feel feel comfortable with. And if it's easier for you all, I can go first. You can go first. <laughs> I think for me with this topic on Afghanistan, you know, when I'll take it back to uh, when the death of George Floyd happened, me being a black entrepreneur, living in Newark, you know, it was easy for me to, to pretend like stuff didn't bother me, you know, but it really did, right? I just felt like it was all in the media. It was all my friends were talking about it. I was getting nonstop phone calls. So it was, um, it was very challenging, it was a very hard time for me. When we start seeing the events take place in Afghanistan, we lost those Marines and the sailor and the soldier, you know, that did affect me. And at first I thought I was gonna, I thought I was stronger and that it wasn't gonna affect me. But uh, it, it was really bothering me. And I had to think back to, you know, maybe I was a little naive to think that it wouldn't bother me in the same light as, you know, the events that took place uh, last summer surrounding George Floyd. But, you know, I think for us as veterans, right, regardless of where we are in the world, when something happens to one of us, I feel like it happens to, to all of us. And so, you know, that's my confession is, you know, when I left my deployment in 2012, I kind of thought I was a little indifferent to Afghanistan. But uh, when the events took place, I found out that I wasn't indifferent. I have a lot to say on this topic, but I think I'll let Kim go first. No, thanks. <laughs> um, I think, especially now with the Taliban taking over Afghanistan, there's this sense of helplessness, at least that I have, that I'm also feeling from our 
some of our Rumi Spice employees and some of my other Afghan National Army colleagues who I know. And this is a very deep entrenched sense of helplessness because so much effort and time and entire careers have been poured into trying to make Afghanistan a more governable place with um, under you know the Ghani government and before that the Karzai government. And now it just seems like the powers that be just decided to throw all of that, um, all of that effort away, you know, and just leave. And then now just, and, and one of my employee, one of my, one of our former Rumi Spice employees told me, it's like for these, some of these Afghan women, it's like letting them out of a cage. If they're a bird, letting them fly. And then now the Taliban's taken over again. It's like putting them back in the cage. You know, it's like even more sad that we had some progress and then now it's just totally back, like to the wayside. And we're going back into the dark ages. So I don't know how much of that is going to actually come to fruition. Like if the Taliban is trying to make things a bit more modernized because they're trying, they're, they're trying to be a legitimate state um, recognized by the international community, um, or if they really are on the other side, going back to the old ways of the 1990s. Um, so I guess we'll see. But either way, I I feel helpless and that there's not that much that I can do except try to get people on a bunch of manifests of, of people trying to get coordinate logistics out of the country and then filling out a bunch of bureaucratic forms um, like humanitarian parole visa or P1, P2, refugee status, blah, blah, blah. And don't know if that's actually going to go anywhere. Thank you for sharing. What about you, Keith? So I, I could probably take the rest of the podcast on, on, on the way I feel. I, I just want to, you know, echo what, what Kim said as well, though. But, you know, I, I think that that we are, you know, Kim and I and, and Rumi Spice, we are able to do something over the long term. It's not really satisfying for the people who are in danger now. And I live every day with the fear that someone that I know is going to be the next person I hear about killed in Afghanistan. Um, but, you know, I, I firmly believe that an Afghanistan that is connected and engaged with the world is a better Afghanistan, no matter who's in charge. And, you know, which is why we are still striving for success with Rumi Spice, and we're going to continue to grow that, because that allows us to affect what happens in, in Afghanistan in, in a way that uh, you can't really do through uh, the government or aid. You know, they can only be driven through the private sector. And I'll just give an example, is that we fully anticipate that we will conduct our operations, which rely on women in labor and management positions, just as we have been under the previous government. Um, and that's because it's a model that works. It's a model that, that works for business. And there's too many incentives in there for that to continue that the Taliban is not going to come in and say, oh, well, we don't want women working um, at all. That, 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 that's just not going to happen. There's too many farmers. There's too many people who are uh, tied to, to the to this industry that, that we've helped create um, that that would be you know foolish of the Taliban to do and and that is only happening because of uh, you know our, our, our sort of private sector driven development and and that can spread to other industries to other you know once you see the value of women in the workforce if they can be a manager at a roomy spice facility why can't they manage this other manufacturing facility why can't they serve in government those are the next steps but you have to start somewhere um, and just, you know, I, I think to take off my armor a little bit, I'm, you know, angry is 
probably the best word because what's just happened in the last week is a culmination of many mistakes that have been made over 20 years. There's plenty of blame to go around. And, you know, I know this is not a political podcast and, and I surely don't mean for this to be political or partisan in any way, but war by nature is a political instrument. And what's extremely upsetting to me is how we've usurped our foreign policy that had traditionally, we've had domestic politics stop at the water's edge, but that's not no longer the case anymore. Our foreign policy is really driven by poll numbers, how people can get an inch in the poll here or there. And that's driving policy that affects millions of people, millions of Afghans, hundreds of Afghans that died in the last couple of weeks and 13 service members that have died. There wasn't sound strategic decisions being made to affect the outcome in Afghanistan. These were decisions that are driven by pollsters in the US on both sides of the aisle, right? And so, you know, what worries me and what makes me angry is that service members, Afghans are just seen as political fodder for people's careers here in the US. And what worries me is that this idea that we're ever gonna focus on any kind of near peer competitor like China there is no way that any other competitor is going to choose to, to fight the U.S. at a time and place of our choosing. What we've set the conditions for, and this is if we don't change. If we don't change, we're going to see a thousand other Taliban, a thousand other Afghanistans. And you'll see this happen time and time again. I'm angry because, and, and I'm motivated to action, you know, of course, obviously wanting to, to focus on the people who are in danger in Afghanistan now, but long term, Something has to change because our system that created this catastrophe, and it's nothing short of a catastrophe, it, it's, there's, there's obviously something wrong at the core. Um, so I, I, I kind of look forward to, to forwarding that conversation, you know, in the public eye on, on how we can do things, things differently and to not forget about what's just happened in Afghanistan and what, what sacrifices have been made over the last 20 years. I appreciate you sharing, Keith. And yeah, you know, we don't, this is not a political podcast, but at the same time, right? We're naive to not think about, you know, the effects of government, you know, and what it does to, you know, us at the at, on the world level and particularly our community of, of veterans. And so, you know, as you start to think about the veteran community um, and those that you all interact with, either as entrepreneurs or just through your day to day, what is the pulse you sense um, from your interactions with them? I, I can I can say that I, I see a lot of a lot of similar anger, you know. Um, I'm sure this is the same thing that people felt after Vietnam, but but people are asking themselves, what what was it all for? I mean, you've had people that have seen their brothers and sisters killed, have seen them injured, have given many decades of their lives fighting for a cause that has just withered away in the last couple of weeks. I asked myself that that same question, but um, you know, I think that we all just fall back on we did the best we could at the time. I, you know, I don't, I don't have, I don't have good answers, but, but it's, uh, it's a time of deep introspection, you know, in, in, in the meaning of our service. And I think it's a time for veterans to come together, uh, to give our service that meaning. And so I ask myself, like, what, so what, what do we do next? You know, um, it's not, it's a, it's a major part of my life, uh, as well, you know, many, many veterans out there, um, not just Afghanistan, but our, but our service. So it's, it's always, um, uh, it's a, it's a continual challenge. You know, you, you want some meaning to that part of, part of your life. And, and I think that 
that no one can just turn their back on what what they did for for a decade their service in Afghanistan, Iraq, or wherever they served. You know, and and you know how how do we provide meaning for for that for for our, for our community? What about you, Kim? It's. I mean, I definitely echo what Keith has been saying. You know, like these people on the other side, uh, they, they. You know, I would say like at Rumi Spice, we always get so much recognition. Like me and Keith and Emily and our Rumi Spice workers in Chicago, but we often forget about our Afghan partners, and they're they have put as much, if not way more, effort into building these bonds and, and, and making the business, um, successful. And I never want to forget about that. Um, and so it really pains me that I just, you know, like what we did together was sort of a, I would say like an example to set of what it means to, to have Afghan and U S hands clasped together, doing something great, you know, community building on a local level, on a small business level, that I hope to be magnified on a state level, you know, or uh, as a reflection of how Afghanistan can be a partner in the international community. And what's happened today in the last couple of weeks has obviously sort of shattered a lot of that, but that doesn't mean that it's the end because oftentimes, and I think veterans would know and military spouses would know anytime you're faced with a challenge, um, when things start, when you when you're in when you're in the room and you're the person in the arena, are you going to face that challenge and are you going to do something about it? Are you going to find some creative ways, um, get the right resources, make a stand, make a statement, get people to to come to your cause to do something about it? And I think that's the challenge that we face today. I think one thing we can all agree is that Rumi Spice is probably needed now more than ever. You know, in this this economic turmoil that's going on in the country. And another thing I want to say is that both of you all are a lot more tied to Afghanistan than most veterans. You know, a lot of veterans, yeah, we deployed over there. But at the end of the day, we left. We had our allies there. But you guys are still running a venture that's on the ground. Like you said, you're in contact with Afghan allies. And so uh, these the events that took place are a lot more personal for both of you. And one of the things I'd be curious to learn about is how have you both managed to protect your mental health and what advice do you give for the veteran community of veterans that served over there to protect theirs as well? I think just, you know, the, the very natural thing is to reach out to the people around you, um, reach out to your battle buddies who you deployed with, um, you know, your, your subordinates, your superiors, it doesn't matter, like, whatever in the chain of command, at the end of the day, we're all in this together, and nobody's above being reached out to. Um, So I encourage people to always keep an open mind and a heart and watch out for the people around you and making sure that they're okay. Yeah, I I echo it, but Kim just said, and you know, I, I rely on Kim as, as my battle buddy for just to have peace of mind and, and uh, talk through things all the time. And, um, you know, I, I think that uh, I've, I've seen a lot of people reach out uh, 
to each other during during this time just to just to check in and say how's it going and and you know reminisce on some old times but just to just to know that uh that that we're there for each other yeah i think there's power in having uh i think now more than ever veterans just need to get on the phone and start talking to each other you know uh, and we started to see this with some of our cohort programs in the bunker you know i was uh <laughs> it was up late at night on a saturday night and my text message started blowing up through one of the uh groups that i manage within bunker and uh you know just one of the veteran entrepreneurs in there was just you know he was bothered by what was going on and you know we forget that outside of conversations like this or outside of our cohort programs you know that's a very small percentage of the veteran community and a lot of veterans are kind of out there in the wild so they may or may not have anybody they can talk to or that they can relate with and you know one thing that i've i've kind of expressed is that for a lot of the older generation they had the vfw the american vfw and some of these other organizations you know where vets could go and talk and reminisce about stuff but for our current generation you know it's made up of like crossfit gyms now and for a lot of people bunker labs um, is that kind of VFW for them. And so, you know, that's why I want to encourage people to get out there and uh, talk to to their cohort programs. Totally agree. Bunker Labs is full of really great people who um, are all trying to start things and to make the world a better place. And so you'll definitely find a friend, a listening ear, someone who can, you know, be with you on a journey to make things better or just, you know, just listen. Um, I think Bunker Labs has been a great community for me has been a great community for, I can't speak exactly for Keith, but for us as Rumi Spice. Um, and we really appreciate all that Bunker Labs has done for us. Um, and we know that it's the type of place where, you know, you you give in, you take out, but at the end of the day, you know, it's a big community of, of the military, ex-military community. Um, so good people. In the time we have left, right? We can talk as long as y'all want, but I also want to make sure that I'm respectful of your time as well. But is there anything regarding, you know, Afghanistan, the veteran community that we didn't go over that you would like to cover? I, you know, I, I think uh, uh, I would, my message to people listening is there's 38 million people in Afghanistan uh, and we can't forget about them. Uh, well, 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 you know, Kim and I and other veterans across the country are working to, you know, we're, there's a lot of people with partners there and allies in Afghanistan that are working to try to help them get out and get to safety. Uh, you know, there's there's a whole nation of people who believed in the promise that we as, that there's no walking away from, from that, you know, and, and whether our, our government wants to walk away and pretend that it didn't happen, that's that's one thing. But, you know, for people like Kim and I, you know, yourself, Mike, and, and anybody else who served there, that, that's not, that's, that's not possible. You know, we, we, I, I don't know. I mean, I kind of go back, like we, we kind of implicitly gave our word <laughs> to the Afghans by our, by our presence there in, in their country. Uh, if if, any, if anybody had an experience working with an Afghan, you would understand that. Um, and, and they trusted us and they in turn, you know, provided us. In my case, there's been many Afghans who directly provided me safety um, and put their own life on the line to protect mine. So I have sort of this enduring, you know, that I'm honor bound to Afghanistan. I just ask people to, to realize that there's still 38 million people in Afghanistan, despite whoever runs their government, 
we need to continue to think about those people who who were who were there and not um you know sort of send them to to uh you know we, we can't just forget them and leave them to the mercy of the taliban um we have to continue investing in them i i you know i'm, I'm very fortunate that we can do that through through me spice and you know we continue to try to drive people to purchase the product because every time you purchase a product that helps the woman in Afghanistan, it helps the farmer in Afghanistan. Um, but there's other things that we can continue to do to invest in Afghanistan. And, and I would advocate doing that through, through the, the private sector. And, um, you know, th this is, uh, it's not over it, it, by, by any means. It's, it's just the, the next phase of this, of this, of this journey for, for Afghanistan and, and, you know, for, for the U.S. And I think that there's a really powerful cohort of veterans that are going to shape the way that the country is perceived in the world in the next 20, 30 years. And, and I think that, that how we treat Afghanistan now is going to be a part of that future. I really want to underline what Keith just said about that this next phase of how we're going to treat Afghanistan, how we face this challenge is going to be um, a pivotal time for veterans right now. Like, you know, we take a stand. Um, we know what our values are. We know who, we never leave a fallen comrade, right? And, and yes, I remember that those, that that statement applies to um, our battle buddies in the United States, but as human beings, as um, people who have intrinsic values as people who fight for justice. Um, I think that we know uh, who that extends to and, and the more responsibility that we take on our shoulders. Um, I think that's really going to reflect upon what happens to us as a, as a global community in the future. What can veteran entrepreneurs and military spouses do? You know, they're listening to this and they're saying, I hear you. What can they do at home, you know, in Nashville or, you know, Ohio at their small businesses or their tech startups? Well, there's some short term things and there's some long term things like one sort of medium thing that I can think of is that when some of these Afghan refugee families come over to the United States, they're going to need welcome and support. They're going to need people to help them figure out how to open a bank account or use the laundromat or, you know, figure out how to go to the grocery store. And that's very easy stuff, but they're just going to also need to feel welcome because they would do the same thing if you went to Afghanistan. And then some of the more long-term things is, you know, getting like maybe fixing what's gone wrong in our government and our decision-making process to get us to this point where we have potentially faltered um, and getting more involved with, um, you know, political representation and doing that and taking that on your shoulders. And I don't think that there's more fit of a person than a military veteran or military spouse um, to run for office. 100%. I think that we need to be a voice in our community, not just the veteran community, but the larger community in which we live. There's something special about being a veteran. We live by a code of value that, let's be honest, is not something that the, the wider society has um, you know, necessarily has the, the same type of standards. So I, I think that, that we need to, to be a strong voice, an example in our community. Um, we've, we're called to serve and we served in the, the U.S. military, but service doesn't end there. I think that we need to find new ways to serve our community. 
And, you know, that's, in my mind, the only way we're going to kind of get out of this, um, you know, spiral of incompetence that I would, I would think that sometimes, you know, happens when, when good people don't go to serve in the, in the community, that, that, you know, you just have this like downward spiral of, of uh, people who are only like self-serving and, um, you know, and, and, and okay, and that's not across the board. I mean, I'm sure there's good politicians out there, but uh, from my perspective, the, the, you know, political representation as, as thought of as, as like service to your fellow man, I, I, I think that's in, in short supply these days. And I'd love to see more veterans getting involved and, and changing that paradigm. Y'all hear that? Sounds like there's still a fight left for the veteran community. So whether it's in your local community, we got refugees coming back. They're going to need employment and support. So again, there's still a place for you and there's still a, a opportunity to fight. And I, that's something I've been echoing. Obviously, I live in Newark. I serve uh, uh, youth and young adults in one of the most challenging inner cities in the country. And so I, I echo that sentiment and I appreciate you all for sharing. How can we as a community at Bunker support Rumi Spice? moving forward well you can go to our website roomiespice.com r-u-m-i spice.com and purchase products like i said those all go uh you know benefiting afghanistan you know farmers and 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 women and you know i would say because we're in a growth mode even more than 100 percent of the the proceeds from that purchase goes goes to afghanistan because we're continually investing in um in the growth of our of our business um, and you can find us online on Amazon. And by the time this gets published, um, you can find us in every single Whole Foods across the country. Um, I, I just just imagine if every American bought one product from Afghanistan, we would literally have a bigger financial impact on the country than the last 10 years of foreign aid has had. So, th th I mean, there's just some transformative power in the American consumer if we're making socially conscious choices with our with our spend. Love it. Kim, anything else before we let you go? I think if you can learn to cook with saffron and cook it all the time at home, that'd be great. But we don't have just saffron. We've got cumin as well and a couple of other spices. Rumi Spice is now in Whole Foods. We have 12 SKUs. So look for us on the shelves of both the spice blends and the spices. Um, that's sort of our shameless plug for Rumi Spice. I mean, short of like getting some weapons and like flying yourself over to the border and smuggling yourself across. Like, I don't really know exactly what we can do right now unless we sort of take over and maybe like assassinate some people. I'm just kidding. We can't do any of that. So I think just like Keith was saying, there's just, we're using our soft power. We're using our commercial power. Going back to the tenants of Rumi Spice to nation build is really to use business um, to use sustainable business to do that. And that right now seems to be the only way to do anything in Afghanistan. Well, Kimberly and Keith, it's been a pleasure having you here today. I know y'all schedule is busy and your time is worth $10,000 a minute. So you just gave us 37 minutes of it. So I appreciate you. And for all our listeners, do me a favor and go set, go ahead and subscribe to the transition on Substack at the link in our show notes. Uh, we use Substack as our newsletter platform, and every Tuesday, we release a newsletter and a podcast every Friday. You can leave a comment about each episode on Substack. If you have any questions about your own venture, 
be sure to post that as well. We're always looking for content and I would love to learn about what you all are struggling with in your own ventures. If you want to get plugged into the Bunker Lab ecosystem, visit bunkerlabs.org and select the city nearest to you to sign up for our local newsletter. From there, attend one of our networking events. It's that simple. Make sure you're also connected at Bunker Online, where you can learn about our many different programs to support your entrepreneurial journey. We have programs that will take you from idea to invoice, incubate you, and position you to grow alongside other founders and CEOs. Register today by clicking connect at bunkerlabs.org. And the last thing I want to say is, I know a lot of you all are still struggling out there. Please make sure that you're connecting with other veteran entrepreneurs in your ecosystem or other veterans in general that you can talk to, be vulnerable, be vulnerable with, and not feel like you're alone. We love you and we appreciate you. And thanks for tuning in into today's episode. Until next time, peace, love, and have a great rest of your week.